0: We are in a series right now called Gospel Human Flourishing. We've been looking at the text out of Jeremiah 29, 7, which is kind of in the baseline text for us as we've been navigating through this. And that text says, but, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And what we believe is that the gospel, the message of Jesus, actually calls us to cultivate and keep and make better where God has set our feet. We believe that the gospel actually compels us to engage the world. And so we've been looking at that over these last several weeks. We don't believe that fear as a follower of Jesus motivates. We don't believe that guilt motivates, but we do believe that the gospel, it motivates us. And so over these last two weeks and this week, this morning, we're going to be looking, we've been looking at biblical justice. And they've been designed to build on each other. And so if you're new or you've been out I would encourage you to listen to the last few weeks because I believe they're important in communicating God's heart for uh, the vulnerable, Jesus' intentional care for the vulnerable, and then this morning we're going to talk about how the early church responded to that. It's unavoidable, as we talked about last week, uh, to take Jesus at his word and not see his profound care for what we call the quartet of the vulnerable, which is the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant. And we believe that Jesus, he cares for these things. And as we follow him, we are called to care for them as well. We said last week that this is not an elective, but it's a core curriculum as followers of Jesus. And so today, I want to consider how the early church cared for the quartet of the vulnerable. Like if we, if we hear God's heart throughout the Old Testament his care for the vulnerable. We see Jesus carry that torch and even add to it and, and make it very clear that he cared for the vulnerable. Then we have to ask, what did the church do with that? The early first century church, how did they respond to that? My my thesis, my kind of core statement this morning for us is that the early church was known for their generosity toward the quartet of the vulnerable. The early church was known for their generosity toward the quartet of the vulnerable. So we're going to look in the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts is interesting. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the writer of the book of Acts was a doctor, and his name was Luke. And Luke wrote two books. He had the first book he wrote was a book called the Gospel of Luke, and that was where we learned everything about Jesus. It's one of the four Gospels that we hear about the life of Jesus. And then he wrote a part B, a second book, the complement of the first, the the first about the life of Jesus, the second about the Spirit being poured out and the church being sent out into the world. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter 2 in this second book of the uh, the writer Luke. And again, we're going to see that the early church, and after the Spirit was poured out upon them, became a generous community. As they generously gave their lives to the world around them. We're going to pick up in Acts 2, 42. It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common When the Spirit was poured out upon these, these, uh, this ragtag group of people, He did something in their hearts that caused them to live their lives in a place of generosity. See, the Spirit brought a level of, of generosity and love for their neighbor that caused this little group of people to have incredible favor with those around them. See, the drive was, was gospel generosity. It wasn't fear, it wasn't guilt, it wasn't a tribe, it wasn't a political party. It was the gospel that compelled them into the world. See, gospel generosity led to gospel transformation. See, as they begun to experience the gospel in their own hearts, recognizing the generosity of God for them, It didn't end in a cul-de-sac. It didn't end in in a dead end, but it turned and it became a funnel for them to become incredibly generous. And that in return caused the gospel to have tracks like a train to run on where the gospel began to explode in these areas. The text says that they began to sell their possessions. They began to distribute belongings to all who had need not just their friends that had need, but all who had need. This is what the people of Jesus do. As we have received the generosity of God, so we extend this generosity with our time, our money, our lives. See, for the Christian, freedom isn't our highest priority. That's abnormal to hear as an American freedom isn't our highest priority. As a follower of Jesus, generosity is our highest priority. It says later on in the book of Acts that it is better to give than to receive. And it says here in verse 46 that they had generous hearts. They were giving of themselves. Not out of fear, not out of guilt, but out of the generosity of God that was extended to them, they gave generously, and the results is that people came into the kingdom in droves. It's, It's remarkable as you begin to read this. This was kind of what was happening in the early church. They were giving of themselves. There became no hurdle where people began to say, you're talking one way, but your life's lived another way. They saw such an authenticity within the church that it caused them to say, I want that. I desire that people began to come into the kingdom in droves. I have to point back to this again and again, but it wasn't their political affiliation that brought people into the kingdom. It wasn't their stance on a specific issue, it was the way they loved others right in front of them. Their faith in Jesus affected how they cared for the Quartet of the Vulnerable. They were generous with their lives. Is that were, there was favor with all people, and the, their number, the, those that became followers of Jesus began to grow and grow and grow and grow. This is what is so attractive about the gospel. It's not just there is something beautiful knowing that we have a hope that when we die, we have eternal life. Yes, that is beautiful, but the gospel doesn't just affect us in the future. it also affects us here and now. It shapes us in that. Way, generosity is a sign of a community of Jesus followers. The early church was known for their generosity toward the quartet of the vulnerable. We continue on in Acts 4. We fast forward just a few chapters and we pick up and we hear something very similar, this theme that begins to play out in the early church. I'd love to read it with you. Acts 4, 32, and I'm gonna show you my cards real quick. I'm gonna read the last part of Acts. We're going to talk about it, and then we're going to pick up in Acts 5, and we're going to see how Luke, the doctor, remember, he's laying out a contrast between two types of people that were within the church. Let's read the first part in Acts 4, 32. It says this, Now the the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And one heart united in the gospel, leading to hearts and lives of generosity. There was this economic generosity that led to the great preaching of the gospel. It went hand in hand. Their their generosity with their finances and their resources led them uh, to have this ability to proclaim the gospel and the, the soil of the hearts of people were open as the spirit was at work. There was no hurdle to their witness because their witness didn't look like a political party or a tribe, they looked like Jesus. And therefore, what people wanted was Jesus. They saw Jesus through the generosity of these people and they wanted this man who had changed the early church's life. So, people want nothing to do with political allegiances with Jesus' name stamped on it. Nobody wants that. That has no power, that has no weight, that will bring no transformation. I mean, study upon study states that subgroups of Christians have moved more and more toward political alignment in our country. And it's damaging and muting our witness. And people yearn, we yearn for people, for a Jesus people who love, who live their lives with love for their neighbor. And we yearn, people yearn, this world your yearn, neighbor yearns to see an authentic witness of the gospel playing out through our lives. The early church cared so much for those that were different than them, for their neighbor, that their message became more attractive, not less attractive. The way they treated the quartet of the vulnerable gave them a voice to proclaim the gospel. See, friends, when people see how the gospel has changed us, it leads to credibility to share what the gospel is. It goes hand in hand. It's when people see how the gospel changes you that, and how you deal with business where you are in businesses, as you live your life, not leveraging your own resources and power to climb the ladder, but choosing to make sure you're caring for the vulnerable that causes your life to be a witness. It's when people see you use your time and use your resources and use your money to care for the poor and orphan and widow and immigrant that causes the gospel to be put on display in how you live. And I dream to see the gospel leading us, leading me, to a life of generosity that's compelling. Notice it's not said here, see how they were so unified in sound theology. That's not what drove them to want to know more about Jesus. That wasn't what won people over. What won them over was that they loved each other actively, tangibly, visibly. And in that, their impact of the world that caused the gospel to become more Attractive. The early church was known for generosity. But then Luke does this thing as he takes us into the next line. And then I got to read a couple verses to us because he, he brings some contrast here. In Acts 5, verse 1, it says this But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it. And laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. So we get this guy and this gal, this husband and this wife, Ananias and Sapphire, and they, they decided they wanted to uh, sell some property. And they wanted it to look a certain way, though they were going to do something very different. They didn't have to sell. No one required them to sell this property. They chose willingly to t- sell this property. And so they did. And what they wanted to do is try to uh, show a, a level of reputation within the church that wasn't actually true. It was hypocritical. And so they, they were wanting to appear generous, while actually they were not generous. And so they, they looked as if they gave all the money of the proceeds of the land, but they held back. They were counter to the generosity that was happening within the early church. And the major thing that Luke is, is sharing here is that generosity matters a great deal to the church. A couple wanted to appear generous in public, but kept back a portion for themselves. This, this statement is, is, is challenging for us. There's a version of generosity This is the point, I believe. There's a version of generosity in the church that becomes a gateway for the gospel to expand. And there is a pseudo version of generosity that becomes a cancer within the church. And he's trying to differentiate the, the, the first half in Acts 4, that the, the church was generous and the gospel was expanding. It was exploding in that area as they loved those who had needs. And then there was this other side, this contrast of these people that were pretending like they were generous but really weren't and how God was saying, I want to make sure that generosity is a value within the church. It's easy for us to hoard but try to appear like we're generous to actively ignore the needs of real people around us, to use the money God has called us to steward to only invest into our hobbies and our needs and our wants. The generosity is a a soul scan that reveals what we really care for in our heart. Luke's telling us that the church cared deeply for the vulnerable and they were generous with their lives. Lastly, in verse 6, what I'm trying to do here is just simply put the early church before us. Like last week, we put Jesus before us. Does he care for the quartet of the vulnerable? Yes, we found out last week we did. Uh, He does. And we've been walking through these last few weeks wanting to just uh, reveal, does God, does Jesus, does the early church care for the vulnerable? And the answer, emphatically, is yes, he cares for justice and he cares for the vulnerable. Lastly, in Acts chapter 6, we'll read this. but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And when they said, please the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man of faith, of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and not Nick Canarn, and Timon and... I mean, just common names, you know moms, Mother's Day. <laughs> Nicholas, uh, a Priscilla of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. See, the church noticed a vulnerable group within, within their community. And it wasn't just the on-staff pastors. They gathered all the church together. and They said, how can we help these that are in need within our community? And they modified and set up some systems to make sure that those people were cared for in the church. See, what's interesting is that this group was Hellenist. These are Greeks. These are Gentiles. These are people that are kind of anti-Jew. And it's these people that the church came and pursued those that were other than them. It was a no-brainer for them. Man, there's a need. We're generous people. The gospel makes us generous, and we are going to engage these people. And then in verse 6, it says, and, in another translation says, so. It indicates a cause and effect. As they cared for the needy, so the gospel went forth in that area. There's this connection between caring for the quartet of the vulnerable and the gospel exploding. We see this throughout the The early church and the number of disciples increased. It's profound. We can go on and on and on. We're not going to, but there's a regular rhythm of how the early church cared. As Jesus cared for these things, so the church, as followers of Jesus, cared for these things. You know, we can listen to this with attention. I want to speak to, it's on one side, it's a, it's a passion for justice. And on another side, it's a passion for the proclamation of the gospel. And, and Tim Keller uh, kind of merges these two realities together. He says, if we confuse evangelism with justice, we lose what is the single most unique service that Christians can offer the world. Others alongside believers can feed the hungry, but Christians have the gospel of Jesus by which men and women can be born again into this certain hope of eternal life. No one else can make such an invitation. However, many Christians who are intensely about evangelism see the work of doing justice as a distraction for Christians that detracts from the mission of evangelism. That is also a grave error. What we find in the early church is a marriage of a care for people alongside of a heart for the gospel. The generosity of God invading our hearts, leading to being generous towards others. What I love about history is that it affirms the way the early church lived their lives. We see in Acts 2, we see in Acts 4, we see in Acts 6 this common theme of generosity. But what's even, I think, more profound, or at least as profound, is what the outside extra-biblical references say about what the Bible is already articulating. So I have two quotes I want us to uh, consider. The first is, uh, and I mentioned this several weeks ago, that Aristides, uh, he reported to Caesar Hadrian, uh, who was the Caesar over uh, Rome in 117 through 138, and he uh, asked Aristides to go explore this Christian faith. What's, What's happening? Is this thing real? What's taking place? And so he reports back to Caesar Hadrian and says this, they love one another, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their own homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if there's among them any that are poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of life. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. This is a secular declaration of the generosity of the early church and how the gospel shaped their lives. And then secondly, Emperor Julian in 361 through 363, he says this about the early church, that nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of the Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious Galileans uh, divide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. And you ask, "Did the church care for the quartet of the vulnerable?" Yeah. It did. As followers of Jesus, they sought to allow the gospel to lead them to see humans flourish. The early church was known for their generosity toward the quartet of the vulnerable. So I have to ask a question to us: What is the modern church known for? Are we known for generosity? Are we known for laying down our lives for the quartet of the vulnerable? Have we gotten a bit distracted? Are we known for generosity? I mean we can't fix a lot of things, but we can focus in and and hear, and we can move towards this end together. I and mean, the question is, can the church become distinct like this again? Can the church become distinct in such a way that the gospel and a care for the vulnerable becomes hand in hand that because of the gospel we care and as we care we're able to show how this gospel motivates us? I believe that we can become distinct again. I believe this doesn't just have to be in the history books. I believe in 2021, we can give ourselves, not by fear, not by guilt, but in motivation because of the gospel and God's generosity towards you and me, become a people that are distinct in this world. And the more confusing and the darker it gets here, the brighter the church can be. Don't get caught up in what the news media tells you. And the darker it gets the greater the opportunity is for the church to be the church. We were made for dark moments. We were made to to engage the world when life gets difficult. We were made to be distinct and other than what this world knows and actually allow the kingdom to, to shine forth in this area, not with fear, not with guilt, and letting the gospel lead us to see humans flourish. We may disagree on how this plays out. Sure, we will. But man, we want to be known for caring for the quartet of the vulnerable. And I pray we will be known as a generous people. It looks differently for each of us. For some of us, it's uh, stepping back and saying, man, are my hobbies taking over my life in such a way that I'm not becoming generous anymore? Am I, my, my vision for my future causing me to become a silo and focus on me and not becoming a generous person? And I want to end my time this morning by just saying, like, man, last week especially, I was considering the words of Jesus. In Luke 14, as we talked about one of those passages last week, and I'm like, man, I, I need to repent. I recognize in my own heart, sometimes I, I, I feel like I need to just be sitting in the seat right next to you as I listen to these words. Because I look at the words of Jesus and hear them Uh, speak to me and I say, man, I feel like I need to grow in some areas when it comes to generosity, when it comes to caring for the quartet of the vulnerable. And so I'm evaluating what it looks like for me moving forward, but I believe this. I believe that we're called into the world to not just live our lives until we get to heaven, but to engage this world, engage the darkness of the world, engage the difficulty of this world, and allow the gospel to motivate us to move forward. And what if God's heart for the quartet of the vulnerable took over our lives? What if the dreams that we had from high school or college were re- reawakened in our hearts once again? What if we limited our hobbies to make sure we had margin and time to care for others? And what if we took money that we were saving for other things? And we say, you know what? That can wait. I want to invest in the caring for the vulnerable. Not that I'll get anything in return this side of heaven, but to invest towards that end? What if we became known for generosity again? Man, what if through this we saw a dent in the foster care needs in our community? What if through this we saw a dent in in caring for people in in Putna, India? And we have an opportunity to become distinct again. Not because of guilt, not because of fear, but because of the gospel. He has been so generous to us We who were poor, he came to make us rich in him. He has done wonderful things. And towards that end, we become generous. So I want to take a moment and pray for me and for us. God, would you cause our hearts to become generous? Would you be willing to pray for yourself, for our community, um, that we would become a generous people? Amen? We're just going to pray quietly, out loud, to ourselves, to God, and just ask him, would you awaken a heart of generosity in our hearts? Again, that we would see a movement like we saw in the early church. Let's take the next minute and do that together. Father, we confess. We so quickly can just zoom in on ourselves and our needs and our wants and our future and our hobbies and our da 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 da. And we just confess that we recognize it's a dead end, this hollow. What we want is to be a generous people, not out of guilt or fear, but motivation of the gospel. You've been so generous to us. Freely we've given, freely, uh, freely we've received, freely we want to give. Lord, would you help us? We turn our hearts to you. Lord, would you stir us? Would you stir this community by your spirit? Would you awaken a fresh vision of generosity? In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to grab the elements in your aisles, we're going to partake in communion together as we close our time. privileged to help lead this community. I'm privileged to have the opportunity to not feel like I have it all together, but sit alongside you and say, I want to do this with you guys, and I want to reset my heart alongside of you guys. And it's because of this, this, these elements that we have, the body of Jesus, the night before he died, he broke the bread, and he said, this is my body broken for you took the wine. and said, this is my cup poured out for your forgiveness of sins. He said, take and remember the generosity of God. And so today, there's a table right before you. And what's at the table are these elements. And these elements are communicating to you that God has been ridiculously generous to you. And the invitation is to receive it. Receive the generosity of God, his body broken, his blood shed for your reconciliation. Let's partake of these elements as we sing this final song together.